All right, our scripture reading today from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, before Stephanie comes up and teaches us out of Luke as well. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Verse 46, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Stephanie, if you'd like to come up. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Happy Father's Day to those of you. Hold on a I'm pulling out all my bag of tricks here. Um, <laughs> doesn't everybody bring up Play-Doh, you know? Um, uh, Matt, thank you. As always, where'd he go? Oh, he's very stealthy. Um, Matt, thanks for your invitation. I'm always grateful. And uh, we are going to, um, we're going to look at a passage of scripture today. As, as Austin said, um, uh, in addition to Father's Day, it is the day the church celebrates as Trinity Sunday, uh, the day we recognize uh, the mystery that is also a reality. And uh, the passage we're looking at today actually gives a, maybe one of the earlier clues in the New Testament of this mystery and reality that is the Trinity. Uh, we're going to look at the life of Mary. I feel like as Protestants, um, Mary's like a relative we only see at the holidays. And, um, but but her, her story and her example really is timeless. And so if it's okay with you guys, uh, we're going to look at what is often seen as a Christmas passage in June. And um, I, I, think, uh, I think the Lord will encourage us today. So I'm going to backtrack a little bit from the reading that Matt started with in Luke 1, and uh, starting in verse 26. The word says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee, named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But, when she, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Can I pause there for one second? It didn't occur to me until just right now. Like we're, we're reading the story of the conception of the Son of God by the Holy Spirit on Father's Day, which I don't know that means something. I just thought, well, there's just something. I feel like there's something there. Um, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him to... give. To him the throne of his father David, 
and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. If you've, been, if you've taken any laps around scripture, you know that Mary is just an ordinary young woman. In fact, by our standards, probably very young. She's from an unimportant city, ordinary, secluded, remote. Uh, she is most likely from a poor or low position in her town. In fact, if you, weren't, if you didn't know her from, your, uh, from her community, you'd probably just pass by her on the street. There is nothing notable about this young woman. Uh, we don't really know anything of her earlier history. There is no external reason why God would choose her. And I think sometimes there are a couple different approaches to this story. I think sometimes for some of us, the story is so familiar that we may miss how we could relate. Or the other side is that we feel like her story is too unlike our own, that we feel like it doesn't necessarily apply. I mean, how many of us feel like a you know, young teen woman in you know, 2,000 years ago, Palestine, that is visited by Gabriel? I mean, if you've had that happen, I'd like to hear. But most of us, really, you're like, I, I don't know that I really relate. But what I'd like to do today, just for a few minutes, is imagine ourselves in this story. Honestly, how might you have responded if it were you? What would you have said? And I'll be honest, I would like to say that I would have responded with the greatest of faith. I would like to say that I would have responded saying, yes, may it be to me as you have said, but I don't really know how I would have responded. I, I hope I would have responded well. But in, in all reality, as I think about that, here's Gabriel. He's the archangel, uh, the angel of high rank. His name means mighty God. He shows up, and what I might have said if he had said that to me would have been something like, okay, so I'm going to be with child by the Holy Spirit um, how exactly is this going to happen? Like, that might have been my first response. I mean, she did kind of say, how will this happen? I don't know that I would have said it quite like she did. Like, um, I, I think I would have had a little bit more of a raised eyebrow on that one. Um, I likely would have said, what are people going to say? Will people assume I was sleeping around? I mean, best case scenario is public shame, possibly public stoning in this situation. Uh, what would Joseph think? What are people going to think of my family? What's my family going to think? Why now is I'm about to get married? That's one I feel like a lot of the young adults that I, I work with would say, I'm about to get married. Why is this happening now? And perhaps even, why me? Why am I chosen? This would bring up all kinds of questions for me, all kinds of possibly even issues. And in some ways, it's easier if I stay distant from it. Um, reading it from my 21st century device, than actually putting myself in this, in this circumstance, thinking, what, how would I respond? What would I do if I had this similar situation? If angel, an angel showed up and said this incredible thing that I didn't understand? Because I know for me, it probably would have brought up issues of being like misunderstood. I mean, think about it. If you, you walk it, you have this experience, and you walk away, and you go in, and you're like, oh, by the way, I'm pregnant, but it was, you know, like miraculous. And I mean, really, is anybody going to believe that? You know what I'm saying? Like, if, you, if someone, okay, parents, if your daughter came to you, 
Is that bad to say out loud? If, if your kid came to you like, I'm pregnant, like supernaturally, really? I mean, you know, and, and I, I just, I like, I don't like being misunderstood. I don't like being accused. Of, I can't even watch things like that on movies when someone is accused of something where they haven't done. It makes me crazy. I still haven't seen The Fugitive. You know what I'm saying? I, I can't. I can't do it. Because it makes me insane when people are accused of things they did not do. I want to say, everybody, just get in the room and talk. You'll figure it out. You know, I, I, I don't like being misunderstood. I don't like being accused of stuff. I don't like when, when people misunderstand my reputation. I try to live with a, a, just a really good reputation. I, I, I don't like it when people think poorly of me. If I be totally honest, I'm not sure I'm always wanting God to ask of me more than I feel like I can give. This kind of thing brings up all kinds of issues for me. And, I, and, and the word says that Mary was troubled, which I so am grateful for because it gives me hope. You know what I mean? It's like really honest, Mary was troubled, Stepha was troubled, you know? It gives me hope that God could use my life. It's almost like she was saying, hmm, I had something else in mind for my life. Now, friends, I think this is the point where a lot of us might get stuck. God comes close in something, maybe an area of our lives. Maybe he says, you know, I, w- I want to bring healing in an area. I-, I, want you to, I-, I want you to really process some forgiveness for that person. I-, I want you to take a step of faith out. I want an area of obedience from you. And in those times, we may miss or dismiss it. So how do you respond when God comes up close? How do you respond when God calls you, when God calls me out of what may be a comfortable zone? When God calls us to what might be incompatible to our plans? Or, and and Nanette and I were talking about this this morning, when, when our questions outnumber our answers, when we have to live in the mystery with fewer answers than questions. Now, I I like certainty. I'm kind of a comfort queen. Is that okay to say? Now, I know I have all these amazing world missionaries who have probably lived in dirt in the room, you know. I'm a comfort queen. I admit it. I remember um, first ministry trip to Morocco. I went, and one of the uh, women on our team told me, she's like, the hotels are great. And we got there, and I realized that her definition of a great hotel and my definition of a great hotel were not the same definition. Because I remember going to, walking into the place, and I was, I mean, I immediately, it just like something came over me, and I was like freaking out. I was like, I don't want to touch anything. You know, I didn't want to sleep in the beds. I didn't want to touch the floors. I didn't want to touch anything like that. And, and she's like, see, isn't it great? And I'm like having this internal breakdown. But rule number one of a missions trip is no complaining right? Rule number two is you eat whatever's put in front of you, but we hadn't gotten there yet. I am still stuck on, I'm not allowed to complain about this hotel, and she's like, it's awesome. And then I finally, I was like, okay, I can handle this. Then we went to the next hotel, which was worse, right? And I was like, oh, I don't want to touch this one either. It got progressively worse through the entire two and a half weeks that we got there. Finally, we got to one place in some small, small village or whatever, and I remember we walked in. I was like, I don't care if there's still urine in the toilet because they didn't clean the place. At least there's a toilet indoors. I mean, I was... You know, I I mean, that was true story. And I I just, my natural inclination is for comfort, but I have to be careful that my need for comfort or control or whatever doesn't rule the day. And at least I, at least in my life, perhaps in ours, it's easy for us to let comfort, control, fear, reputation, any, any of those things could whisper in our ears in the same way they could have whispered in Mary's ear. There was so much that Mary didn't know. If you think about it, Gabriel left out a lot of details. 
You know, Mary, she didn't know how exactly, really, how exactly is this going to work? What does the future hold? What are people's reactions really going to be? What's Joseph's reaction really going to be? What kind of price is Mary going to have to pay? How would people treat her or this child? Why was she chosen? And if I could say it this way, and forgive me because I really don't mean to be disrespectful to Gabriel or the scriptures, Gabriel gave details that honestly I could have waited on. You know, um, it's going to be a boy, and his name is Jesus. We have nine months for that, you know? I want to know how Joseph's going to respond today. I can wait on it's a boy, you know what I'm saying? I mean, we just, you know, it, it was one of those things where I'm like, okay, thanks, but really, what's Joseph going to say? That's where I would want to go in this whole thing. But we, so we want the answers that we want, as, as we just kind of uh, alluded to. We don't want to be without the answer. Um, I, I realize, though, I do this, I give people the benefit of the doubt sometimes more than I give God. I'm going to tell you how I know that. Because I, I, there's an element of trust that I think sometimes we will allow people to have in our lives that perhaps we don't allow God. I was on a plane one day. They get us on the plane. Everybody sits down. And then the pilot comes on uh, over and says, well, we've got a, we're going to have a little bit of a delay. We hit a bird. We had a bird strike coming in, and so now we have to check the, the plane. And first of all, I'm thinking, I was fine in the cafe. Why did you bring us on the plane then to tell us we're not going anywhere? Because you knew you hit, the, you hit the bird on the way in. This is not like brand new, right? But they always bring you on the plane to tell you there's going to be a delay. I'm thinking they should be in cahoots with the people in the thing, and then you'd spend more money in there. I'm just thinking out loud. And... Um, Anyway, so we're on the plane, and I am sitting on the right side of the plane at the window, and I look out, and I'm in front of the wing so I can see everybody, and I see a bunch of, <laughs> I see a bunch of guys, they're like looking at the wing, they're like doing this, and then one guy runs over, and he gets what I think looked like a broomstick handle, and he goes in, and he lodges it, and he try, he's trying to pull out this little piece that had been dented in by, by a bird, and I'm, and I'm like, okay, this can't be good for the wing, right? I'm no aerodynamic engineer, but that can't be good, as he's doing, and then they're looking some more of the pilots out there, and they're looking, and finally one guy looks, and he goes like this, and he, it's like, and he runs over to the little cart, and he gets out what I am sure looks like Elmer's glue. And he comes in, and he does the thing, and they all kind of look at it and kind of nod, and then they come in. And I'm sitting there going, are you kidding me right now? Are you kidding me with this? And I, the flight attendant happened to be standing there, and I'm looking at her with just fear in my eyes, like, are you seeing this, Elmer's glue? Are you kidding me? And so then the pilot comes in, gets back on the loudspeaker, and is like, well, we're ready to go. By the way, they all <laughs> heard one comedian say, all, flight, all pilots, don't they sound alike? You know, they all sound like they're cheerful and from the Midwest. He's like, I wish, I, one day I'd like a pilot from the Bronx. You know what I mean? If you think you're going to smoke in here, you can forget about it. And anyway, I don't know where that came from. It's not in my notes. But um, the, um, the pilot says, well, we're good to go. And I realized, you know what? The pilot actually really knows. The maintenance crew really is. I, I'm sitting there thinking as if I know what this plane needs to fly. And sure enough, off we went. All good safe and peaceful flight. The problem is when I don't trust the pilot. If I don't trust the pilot, I'll never get to where I need to go. There was a long list that Mary didn't understand about God's plan or purpose for her life, and Gabriel did not give her details, but he did give her perspective. Mary, you don't have to be afraid. Mary, you have the favor of God. Mary, the Lord is with you. 
I look at Mary, friends, a lot of times as a mentor to me, a distant mentor. She mentors me in trust and in surrender, in, in obedience. Uh, I, I read a book. I've been doing some teaching lately on crucial or difficult conversations. And um, I read a book recently that said, you, and in leadership, you never outgrow or get promoted past difficult conversations. Um, some of you are like, oh, great. <laughs> I would say we never outgrow these moments to trust and surrender. We never outgrow obedience. So how do we live the life of trust and surrender that God calls us to live? There are four things I want to pull from Mary's story here briefly. The first is this, community helps us to live in trust and surrender. It's interesting, and, and Matt read this for us earlier, after this entire thing happened, Mary goes immediately and spends, at least immediately as we can see it, and goes and spends time with Elizabeth. Elizabeth, you, as we may remember, is the mother of John the Baptist. She had been barren for years, trying to live a life of trust and obedience at a time of barrenness. And she just miraculously, God does something for her and her husband, and uh, she eventually becomes the mother of John the Baptist. Uh, Mary spends time with somebody who has previously walked the journey of trust, the journey of surrender, because we cannot live a life of faith alone. It's, it's interesting. Um, some of you guys know my friend Alicia Sholey. She said one time, uh, she said, Christianity is not offered for independent study. And it's so easy to want to do that, isn't it? Uh, I, I like the way uh, Brene Brown, the author and researcher, says this. She says, um, vulnerability is the greatest measure of courage. Oh, that's so rich. If you, if you think about, we, we tell this to students all the time. I'm not sure if the image is up there with... Um, there's an image of some sheep. Do we have that up there? Uh, maybe. Maybe not. Um, I always tell students that we work with, there we go, yeah. If, if There's just something about being, there's something about being safe in the pack. You know what I'm saying? There's something about, like, I know that if I'm, if I'm within the pack, there's a safety there. If I'm off on the edges of the pasture, there's a vulnerability. Not the kind of vulnerability that Brene Brown is talking about, but the kind of vulnerability that, that just really does put us in a difficult place. If I'm off at the edge of the pasture on my own, it's a lot harder to be safe. And, and it's interesting. I, the, the great theologian Amy Poehler once said, um, <laughs> I love this, <laughs> community makes us brave. Community makes us brave. I know if I'm safe in the pack, it's a whole lot easier to be brave. If I'm out on the edge of the pasture on my own, it's a lot harder to be brave if I know there's a, a, there's a wolf out there looking for me. If I'm safe in the pack, it's way easier to be brave. Community makes us brave. Elizabeth was also living the life of trust, the life of faith, so she and Mary could walk together because community makes us brave. Could I encourage us as a body, I, like I think about us as solid rock. Could I encourage us maybe sometime soon to take a relational risk, to open up maybe perhaps a little bit more to help us develop even some more community? I love our small group. I love our small group that we have here. And I want to keep growing. And I, I would encourage, I know there are other small groups here. And if you're not in a small group, get connected in a small group. Get to know, take a relational risk because community makes us brave. And we can live out what God has called us to do when we do that together. The second thing is this, and we read it earlier. Uh, Mary found joy in her surrender. 
It says in Luke, and, and Matt read it, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. You know what that doesn't sound like to me? It doesn't sound like a pity party. I can't believe God is asking this of me. I can't believe God had something else for me in mind. I was about to get married. Mary, Mary did not have all the answers. She didn't fully understand, but she trusted and she worshiped and she went from obligation. I mean, she could have just been obliged, like, okay, well, this is just what God called me to do, so I'm going to say yes because he called me to. But she went from obligation to gratitude. And through, through her worship, she was able to just honestly worship the Lord for what he had done, even though he called her to something she didn't fully understand. It's interesting, um, one of the clues, I think, to this is in a passage that a lot of times people will pray. I, can I just say, can I, can I take a relational risk and say, um, I hear this, lot, this particular next verse a lot as a single person in the church, um, where people, in, really in an, in, a, in an encouragement, attempt to be encouraging, and they're like, well, just delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And I think, <laughs> I see somebody back there shaking her head, you know, and... Uh, I just took a little relational risk right there. But, I mean, that's really true. And, 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 and a lot of, okay, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Can I be honest? I, I don't think that um, initially this was the desire of Mary's heart. But it says delight yourself in the Lord. That word to delight means to be pliable. Um, to be pliable. When we're pliable, we can be shaped and formed. And I'm just thinking that Mary was pliable in God's hand, and he can shape her and form her in such a way that she could go from saying, well, I'm about to get married to look, what the Lord, look at the great things the Lord has done for me. Holy is his name. When we remain pliable in the hands of God, he does form us and give us the desires of our heart. I remember years ago... Um, I took a, a prayer, an eight-day prayer retreat at a place in um, Arizona, and I had heard uh, these uh, lovely, I think they were Lutheran, it was a Lutheran order, these ladies who were like nun, nuns, they, I, I heard that when people would come and stay with them, they would pray about which room to put them in. They had like 10 different rooms uh, that were named something different. And I was kind of excited, a little anticipation. They're going to, you know, pray ahead and, and see what room they're going to put me in. And as I'm walking up the, uh, up the, down the hall, and they take me to my room, and I look up, and it says, surrendered will. And I was kind of annoyed. <laughs> I was, is that okay to say? I was, I was like, what are you trying to say? I didn't actually say out loud in my head. I'm like, what are you trying to say? I'm not, I don't have a surrendered will, you know? And then, and then I could see that hand. <laughs> I could see, I was like, okay, I get it. You know, I saw the irony of being frustrated over being told I needed a surrendered will because I did. When we are pliable in the hands of God, as St. Ignatius says, there are very few people who realize what God would make of them if they abandon themselves into his hands and let themselves be formed by his grace. The third thing is this, obedience and courage are contagious. It's interesting to me that Mary quite literally carried the Redeemer into the world. And I've often wondered, I, I, if you guys would give me a little room with this one, I've often wondered if she told him the story of the day that Gabriel showed up. I wonder if there were times when Jesus thought, I wonder if he ever asked her, you know, Mom, I, I don't really look like Dad. 
you know? Um, something, what, what's, uh, Mom, I've heard, I've heard murmurings in the community. Mom, what, there, it, what, what, what's going on, Mom? I wonder if they walked down the street and she told, them, told him about the day that Gabriel showed up and that she said yes to Gabriel. She said yes to God. Something that was probably quite scary, something that could have uh, ruined her reputation. I wonder if she told him the story. And I wonder if years later, when he was in Gethsemane, wrestling with the Father's will, saying, Father, I wish you could take this cup from me. I wonder if he thought of his mom. Again, you got to give me a little room on this. We, we don't really know, but I wonder if he knew the story and thought, you know what? My mom said yes that day. My mom said yes to God's will. Okay, Father, not my will, but yours be done. I'm convinced that our obedience to God and our courage, I'm convinced it's courageous. I, we've got a lot of young parents in here. We've got a lot of young parents in this church. We've got a lot of kids. I don't know what's going on, but we've got a lot of kids in this church. Your kids need to see your courage in obeying the will of God. They need to see it. I just wonder if that doesn't mark us in some way. I don't have kids, but I, live, I, I long to live in such a way that the university students that I get a chance to serve can see what it looks like to walk with God. To see as a single person that you, you can actually be pretty happy walking with God and you don't have to live the way the world does in order to live your life. I think courage and obedience are contagious. And the last thing is this, and then we'll, we'll close in prayer. Mary bound herself to God alone. She says these words. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. I don't think, I don't see anything passive in, um, in her statement. There, I don't see anything like, I don't see anything like, okay, may it be to me as you have said. I see full cooperation. I see a partnership with God there. I am the Lord's servant. The word there for servant, now I know probably half the room actually speaks Greek, but if you'll give me a little room. Um, the word there for servant, the root of that means to bind. And the image I always get is like a little tree that's bound to something stronger that helps it grow. It's just bound together for its strength, bound together, bound to something stable and sure. I, I think we're, we're bound to something, or we tie ourselves to something. I think we're made to be that way. We're made to be bound to God in a beautiful way. We're made to be bound to, to healthy, holy relationships. And if we don't do those things, we'll bind ourselves to something else. In the same way we are called, we're made to worship. If we don't worship God, we will worship something else. We're made for that. It's so easy for us to, to use the substitutes. It could be our comfort. It could be our fear. But we could ask ourselves, what are we bound to? What are we holding on to for support? Are we bound to our comfort, reputation, pleasure, fear, my desire to put myself in the center? And I think we get to be like Mary when we're able to say, I am the Lord's servant. God, I trust you. May it be to me as you have said. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.